When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host Craig Fowler and I am joined by Craig Anderson. Hello Craig, how's it going? Doing well, doing well as, as will you be with, with both our teams making it through to the, the quarterfinals of the, the big one. Yes, yes, certainly, certainly. It's, it's certainly, it, it, it helps the, well say that the main headline is that it want Hearts to go in and, and win the tournament and in a, in a year where Celtic and Rangers look beatable, that is uh, there's a, a lot more optimism of that happening than there would be most years. But also as well, there's the third place, which Hearts have pretty much wrapped up at this point in time. And so you're just going to wait until the end of the season. Is the Cup going to be won by Celtic Rangers or Hearts? So the longer Hearts stay in the competition, the less chance there is of somebody else doing that. So that's also a bonus as well. I'd rather Aberdeen have been drawn away to Celtic in the next round rather than Livingston, but you can't have everything. And hopefully we'll take, take care of them for you anyway. Yes, exactly. But then, then, then we you lose, lose, lose immediately after that, please. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted, I wanted that away so there's possibly like hearts to be joined in the semi-finals by some Diddy team, but that's that's now not going to happen. The only the only Diddy team left in the, the competition to, to beat is Morton, and that's uh, it's up to hearts to beat them. Uh, apologies to Morton fans. I've just called you a Diddy team. But... One of the one of the, the more. Supportive clubs that listen to this as well, um, and you've just uh, you've just alienated yet another fan base. <laughs> That's what we do. We just alienate fan base left, right, and centre. There was there was a time that Duncan. There was a time we had done the. I think it was a pod of the from from like 12, 12 to one, like the most irritating fan bases or the fan bases you you dislike the most. And then there was a lot of Celtic fans that refused to listen to us again because. Whoever was on the podcast, Duncan and somebody else, had <laughs> Celtic at number one above Rangers. It was just at the time, it was kind of, for people who were on Twitter all the time, and it was around about like 2017, that's when Celtic fans were constantly going on about the referees being against them and conspiracies and stuff, but it was just, it, it made sense at the time, but yeah, there was a lot of stuff I just, point blank, that was it. No, never listened to the show ever again. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> yeah, probably wise, probably wise. Right, let's get into the show. So we're going to be doing something different and it's something that we're going to be doing regularly from now on. So if you, so typically a Scottish Cup round, we would do something different anyway. We usually do winners and losers and, and just, just kind of go from there. But we felt like it was about time that we mix things up with our typical format on a Monday, which is usually going through every single Premiership game. There's usually six games. We'll go through every one of them do some match analysis on each one and that's all we do on a Monday. But I, I kind of feel like that's getting a bit stale 
And I wonder whether you, the listeners, think that's getting a bit stale as well. If you agree or disagree, please get in touch with us. The best way to do so, probably send us an email, really, I would say, terracepodcastproductions at gmail.com. But we, we could have felt ourselves that it could, it's, it's something we've done for years. And now that there's a wee bit more kind of time to plan Monday shows before they actually happen, it's maybe time to do something a bit else and to, 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 to mix it up a bit more and to turn it into more of a magazine show. And you could say, like, oh, oh like, a view from the Terrace. And, and yeah, that would kind of be correct. But at the same time, the Terrace podcast used to be more like a magazine show until we kind of settled down into our just going through every game kind of format. So we'll we'll kick it off with this this show, which is a Scottish Cup, and typically our show I say we would do something different anyway. And basically we're just gonna break it down into different sections and I'll introduce each section as it comes. But we shall actually begin with just doing kind of what we usually do, and we'll we'll do this whenever we mix things up. We'll still occasionally do our, our six game roundup. Just we're just gonna decide week by week what, what kind of fits best and, and what we can fit into our working week. But each show will still be pretty much the same off the bat with focusing on the most interesting match from the past weekend and just kind of looking at it in general and how the game went, who played well, who didn't. And on this occasion, that game is Greenock Morton 2, Motherwell 1. Craig, what did you think of the game on Friday night? Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think Capello is uh, one of the one of the best stadiums to be watching, kind of especially a nighttime game, but pretty much any game, and especially this time of year, the, the kind of swirling winds coming off the coast, all the rest of the things that just make um, make for a really entertaining game of football, even before what happens on the park. I mean, we were lucky enough, we went down there in the in a Friday night game a few weeks before the end of the season, the year we, we won the championship and had a, a horrendous night, to be honest, just in terms of like, because that Morton team in it, and it was first half season of Doug Emery, but it's, it's not really changed since then just throw the kitchen sink at you and it's just relentless, relentless, relentless and we were lucky to escape that one with a point, a crucial point as it turned out. Um, Motherwell weren't as lucky the other night. Um, well, well and truly beaten. I thought they, they almost got themselves back into it, obviously with the goal at the end, but they were they were out, fought basically over, all over the pitch for, for the first 75, 80 minutes of that game and Morton, it's exactly what you get from them, and, and they're obviously putting together an incredible run. To me, they they seem like just about the favourites to finish fourth in the championship now um, and get themselves into the playoffs. And with that team, if they do get into the playoffs, I feel like they'll 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 certainly make themselves known in the playoffs. I think you're not going to get an easy uh, result against them. And yes, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed the game, and, and I think like um, I mean, apart from apart from anything like a bit. 80% of the teams like get connections to Kelly in the first place so it's like it's like watching our uh, it's like, a, it's like a, here's here's the team you could have had if you'd stayed in the championship a couple more years basically <laughs> but it's yeah they're, they're, they're good to watch and um, I'm really pleased that they kind of got through that one because I think it's it, it sets up another opportunity to have probably what will be another Friday night quarter final now yeah I'm um... Yeah, I called him a, 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 a club earlier, and that, that really might come back to haunt me. Especially, I'm a bit, I'm a bit worried about. It. I'm not looking at. I kind of looked at the Airdrie game, and I, I just, I just really never was in that much doubt that Hearts were going to win. I didn't necessarily think that we'd win it as easily as they did. Being three 0 up inside, however many minutes it was, and even after Airdrie pulled one back, and there wasn't really too many kind of heart and mouth moments. We thought, God, they might get properly back into this. But going away to Morton for a quarter final, like especially where they're playing right now, and just to kind of make up with their team as well, 
I knew that in kind of the case of Airdrie, it would be like, I know how Airdrie play in terms of pass out for the back. And I think to do that and to upset a team of a, of a higher level, especially a team in, in such good form as Hearts, was going to take a, a real kind of effort. But you can, if you're a team like Morton, who are more about physicality and really kind of hard running and, and doing the basics very well, then that lends itself more to pulling off an upset and just, you know, frustrating the, the life of Lauren Shanklin, making the kind of, well, the rest of the Hearts team, basically. We know there's a lot of talent in there, but guys, there's barely been a consistent former in the Hearts side this season. You can really ima- imagine Morton throwing them off and giving a number of players a-, a bad night because they certainly did it to Motherwell in this game. And there was just just star p- performance throughout the side. George Oakley up front, obviously took his goal very well, ended up being ultimately the winner. But just the, the way like he, he dominated the Motherwell centre-halves, winning so many aerial battles, the midfield, like first half especially, Morton just easily, again, just to use the word again, dominated, just completely dominated in that area. And then at the back, Jack Baird, Darrell Connor, just making very light work of some poor, I was going to say some poor Motherwell tactics. We'll probably get into that. In a, yeah, we'll get into that a bit more in a second. But they, they made easy work of, of Theo Baird. I think I think Bale's one of those players that he he reminds me a lot of Connor Salmon. Like he's got a lot of physical attributes in the sense that he's big, but he's not someone that you actually want to be hitting with long balls. You want to be playing balls around the side and in behind, and and they they didn't play anything like that, and they, maybe they didn't get given a chance to because um, it's constantly kind of they're just constantly in your face, so the defenders don't get the time to play the right passes to him. And he's not really one that's actually going to win many physical battles when it comes to like you know, you know, aerial challenges with defenders or try to outmuscle people. Even though he's got that in him, it's not what he's the best at. And yeah, he was he was kind of not a not a feature in the game really at all. But certainly wasn't wasn't the only one from a Motherwell point of view. Um, kind of looking at the, the attacking ones, like um, the, the midfield just as you said gets swallowed up as well. But all over the park, Mullerwell were second best, and, and obviously the, we, we might talk about the goalkeeper, but um, he was certainly um, a big part of that as well. Yes, we'll certainly talk about the Liam Kelly's performance very soon enough. But yeah, just kind of on the on the Mullerwell, the midfield battle was the first thing that kind of drew my attention, and that I think had kind of ramifications for the end, how they ended up attacking in general. So you look at Liam Miller comes in for Andy Halliday. Now, Lennon Miller is a, is a better footballer than Andy Halliday, but this was, this was not the game in which to do that. They kind of needed somebody like Halliday's kind of experience. Like, I mean, I, I'm just reminded of Andy Halliday getting sent off at, at Morton a few years ago for Rangers, where I think he'd done like a kind of get up you to the fans or something like, something like that. But he's like got experience. So he, he's more of a battler. He's, the, the, he's obviously been around. He's the kind of guy you want for these games, not to bring in a, a 17-year-old who's more about his kind of, abilities on the ball and yeah you can maybe want to go to Morton and you're a team in the league above and you want to play your own style of football Motherwell like to knock the ball about on the on the park but you know it's a it's a ground you're not familiar with it's a difficult surface it's also against a team that so they've got Dravosky and they've got Miller and they've got them as a kind of sitting two but they're going against Robbie Crawford who is one of the hardest working number 10s you're ever going to come up against and he's been in excellent form for Morton recently doing exactly the job that he did on Friday night, which was just seeming to have four lungs and just constantly, constantly running and constantly disrupting and being a pest, not just when his team doesn't have the ball, but when his team has the ball as well. 
And then ahead of that, you've got Blair Spittle and Harry Payton. I don't, I don't really like the selection of Payton there anyway. He, he does have some decent games there, but I, I still think it leaves you without too much in the final third. Because Payton can play some nice, nice passes and he can help you do the triangles and, and work the ball in a nice area higher up the pitch. But he's not going to get many goals. He's not going to get many assists. And so it, for me, that's the kind of selection that you don't really pick in games against the real kind of stronger teams in, in Scottish football. But it just meant that, and they two, and they two were just having to go into a midfield area that had Alan Power in very good form. Ian Wilson was brilliant. And Cammy Blues coming off the, the right as well. He was just getting involved in everything. And it just, it meant there was no way for them to make their passes through. They could only really go out wide. Odoro didn't do anything right. Ghent, slightly better on the left, but he, he was taken off at halftime. I thought a bit strangely, especially since he was taken off for Jilly Biabu, who has played two games at any sort of level of football in his entire career. So to throw him on in that situation, a bit strange. I said halftime, sorry, in the second half. So yeah, it was just, I just felt that Kettlewell got his tactics quite badly wrong in this one. Yeah, it was funny you mentioned Dravkovsky there. I missed the first three minutes of the game and actually didn't realise he was playing until I looked at the team there. I was trying to piece together in my head who was in midfield for Motherwell when I was thinking about it, because I knew I knew Miller was playing and I knew Halliday wasn't, which I found surprising. I was trying to work out in my head as you were talking who was that extra midfielder and um, he was he was completely anonymous, obviously, to the point where I, I didn't notice him. And and I think what you say about Peyton, Peyton and Spittles, right, but it was, it was all across the pitch because there were the defence, like, in terms of their building up, in terms of their possession stuff, like, Paul McGinn had a, had a bit of a shocker in terms of, well, more than one occasion, trying to play the ball out from the back and I just felt like right across the park, and it probably is partly the pressure that Morton put on you as a team. But it felt like right across the park, there just wasn't it wasn't clicking for them. And I know Mullerwell are on this kind of weird pendulum at the moment, where you don't know if their form's good or bad because they are um, <laughs> they've been drawn a lot of games. So I think um, they they were a bit prematurely starting to say you know they're in a great run of form because they'd obviously got a couple of wins, but. I think I think the way they've been at the moment is summed up by the fact that their their fans were were wildly celebrating a a tackle in a one one home draw with Kilmarnock last weekend. It was like it seemed like the highlight of their weekend. So <laughs> I think that maybe says a lot about about where Motherwell are at the moment. And as I say, like Liam Kelly has to me, you talk about Shankland playing himself further and further into contention for for the Euros with the the way he's been playing this season and constantly getting goals, and that's been particularly true of late with the number he's been banging in. Liam Kelly is playing himself further and further and further away from that squad. Yeah, that first. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, the the goal isn't even his, his worst mistake of the evening. Like, that cross that he drops just about, like, I mean, if O'Connor is arriving like a yard later than he does, or if he, or if he just gambles, like he gambles on on Kelly not c- gathering that cleanly, then it's a goal, and you could see. But you don't want to blame like that's not the type of thing that you blame O'Connor for. Because you usually say like players, oh, why are you not gambling in that situation? Why are you not just you know j- just in case the goal is to get there? Because like like more than ninety nine times out of a hundred, like ninety nine point nine times out of a hundred, a goalkeeper catches that, <laughs> and Liam Kelly just somehow let it through his hands. It was lucky that didn't end up being a goal. The goal itself is bad. So bad. Like, at the, he's just so weak at the front post that he, he does get something on it, but it's nowhere near convincing enough and it ends up going off of Harry Payton and into the, the back of the net. And then 
even the second goal. Through him. Yeah, it, it gets down far too late. And, I mean, you're a small goalie. Like, the crossing stuff is supposed to be like, oh, well, we kind of knew that with Kelly. He doesn't command his box that well. But, you, like, so then you have to make up with it by having, like, quick reactions and getting down well. And he doesn't at all for Oakley's goal. Yeah, and, and it's just all of those kind of things adding up. And, and a one-off, you can have a bad night. Anyone can have a bad night, but it's not been a bad night for him. It's been weeks and weeks and months of playing exactly like this. And it, it, it makes, like, it's, it's the worst possible time it could have come for him, I think, because I think he had shook, shaken off that idea. Like, because I think there was still a lot of people not that convinced by Kelly, but then he, he did come into it a bit with Mullerwell and you started to think, you know, he's starting to be a bit of a commanding goalkeeper. I thought he finished last season quite well. And you start to think, right, this guy is maybe, because he's, he's still, he's not young, but for a goalkeeper, he's he's still potentially not hit, hit his peak, if you know what I mean. You don't know with goalkeepers, but this season's just been a massive setback in that respect. And it's come at a time where he probably did have the opportunity to, with, with the situation at Hearts, with the other two goalkeepers that could be second and third choice, both being at the same club, he had the real opportunity to kind of basically guarantee himself and he's potentially done the opposite. The goal itself, the first one, reminded me a lot of the goal Motherwell scored against Hearts in the Scottish Cup quarterfinal at First Park all those years ago when it was, I'm trying to think who, who you'll remember who it was, was it, it was one of the one of the centre-halves of the many that were terrible that Hearts had at that time that, that scored their own goal. But it, was it, it wasn't an own goal. They gave it as an own goal against McLaughlin. Like, that was the official goal scorer, but that was an absolute fucking nonsense. That was one of those ones where it's like, oh, the official goal scorer is decided by, I think it was like decided by press association. So it's decided by somebody inside the stadium who hasn't, doesn't have access to replays. Like, I don't know if they've changed that now. I hope they have, but that, that was what the system was at the time. So it ended up being a McLaughlin own goal. I think it was, I can't remember who took, it was basically who took the cross was the goal scorer from Motherwell because it was left by Ross Callahan. And it's either, ah, it was dummied by Ross Callahan. McLaughlin couldn't quite get there before it crossed the line. Or if he did, he played it off the post, then went across the face of goal, and I think Curtis Main tapped it in at the far, at the far end. So it was, it was some Motherwell player that scored it. It wasn't an OG. It, 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 so, I know that's got to do with nothing, and that's quite no, a tangent. No, no, it's, no. it's harsh line, but I just always wanted to get that off my chest. It just, it just had the same vibe of a corner coming into the box and seemingly nobody on the defensive side having any interest in dealing with it. And the yeah. ball just basically finds its way straight into the net. And it it, it does kind of, I think, sum up a team that is not in playing with full confidence. I think Bears probably dug them out a few holes in the games they have. And obviously they absolutely battered, um, battered County. But aside from that, like they've not been that convincing even the... Or it's not that they've not been that convincing, it's that they've not looked like putting teams away at any point, apart from that game. And even when they've had a bit of the most of the game, it's never really transpired into sustained periods of pressure. And then when they've put was on the other foot, they, they crumbled a bit. Before we move on, just to further endear myself to Morton fans, Dougie Emery's career prospects, I think that's a big one for him. Because... You see so many managers, and, and now modern fans at this point will want to be holding on to Duke Emery as long as possible, but he is going to have ambitions of, of moving up the food chain, especially if he can't get Morton promoted through the playoffs by yeah. the end of the season. And it does; these kind of results do really matter. Cup runs really matter. That's the kind of thing that, I mean, it probably shouldn't, but it is the kind of thing that make chairmen and, and chairwomen take notice of you and make you stand out more as a candidate and make you seem like the job you're doing isn't just a, a good job in a lower league that people in the league above don't really have a lot of respect for. 
Yeah, he does. I think the thing that could hold Emery back a couple of things. He doesn't have cheerleaders the way some managers do in the sense of like, well, usually because they've played for one of the bigger clubs in Scotland, and so the fans of that club are always like, oh, Nick. Like McCabe gets a bit of every benefit of that from his association with Rangers, for example. He's a very good manager. I think he will go on to be a good one. Guys like Kevin Thompson, who've achieved nothing of the of what Emery has in terms of his managerial career. But he's got the League Two title, damn it, Craig. He's got the League Two title. About worth it, about as much as Alan McCoy's League Two title. Like, it's like... (laughs) But Emery doesn't have that, and he also doesn't have any profile in England. Obviously, he's never played down there. Even, like, guys like Alex Neal, who went down, he obviously had a, a pretty lengthy career, or at least some career down in England, and people knew who he was. But I think yeah, from the moment like that night I was mentioning where we played them, I was like, "Oh, this guy, this guy managed to really put together something." They really remind me of Livingston from when Livingston came up in the first place, and they've chucked together a lot of um, character players, and he's doing a really good job of making the most of what he's got. And I think that is the sort of thing that many bottom six clubs in the Premiership should be looking at as. Like, like the Ross County job's up for grabs just now. Is that the right one for him? I don't know, but he should be getting mentioned, and I don't think he has been. No, no, you're right. Right, let's move on to the first of our features, sections, whatever you want to call it. This is called Say Something Nice. So what we do in this one is that we say something nice about a team, player, manager, Scottish football personality, referee, whatever, that we don't typically do. So, Craig, do you want to get us kicked off this? We've got one each for this section. Do you want to start us off with your one? Yeah, so it's um, it's about Celtic's defence. Much maligned this season, um, probably correctly so, but they're in amongst a really bad Celtic performance at uh, in Paisley, which they did come through to now. The defence stood up really strongly to what we say was a, a pretty physical challenge from St Mirren but also like they, they had a lot of defending to do in the wide areas they had a lot of defending to do from basically all sorts of things and okay they got a wee bit of help from um, from the woodwork um, with, with one of Gogic's efforts but the back four and, and when you say the back four of um, with, with Burnaby Scales, Welsh and Ralston that sounds to me like disaster material when you when you see that written down none of those four players would be first choice players as it as it was at the start of the season and if you told a Celtic fan that was going to be a lineup, you they would be worried but all four of them yeah, well definitely definitely two centre halves and, and I think Ralston is a good game Burnaby was, was a mixed bag his attacking was really good but he was definitely the one being targeted in terms of getting balls in behind and down his side but he did stand up to it um, more than I've seen from him in a while and definitely skills I think keep surprising me because I keep thinking you know okay he's going to be in the Celtic team for a wee bit and then now you're looking at him and you're like how is, is he actually just just there now I, I still have doubts about whether he's quite good enough but he's basically since this time last year when um, Robson came in at Aberdeen he's basically been flying for, for the best part of a year at this point and Welsh, I'm, I'm not so sure of. I don't think he should have a long-term future at Celtic, but he put his body on the line constantly in this game. And as I say, they were overrun by St Mirren at times. St Mirren had, I think, double figures. It was at least nine. It might have been 10, 11 corners in the game. They were throwing balls in the box. Everything was about crosses. And those are the things that I would have said Rogers' teams typically don't and haven't historically dealt with very well. And okay, yes, 
St Mirren's chances did come from those, but a lot of those players, like like Alex Gogic, had a shot on the turn that was under a lot of pressure because the defence got around them. One other one was an overhead kick, which is like, you know, having to if, if you if you are relying on an Alex Gogic overhead kick to get you through a game, you you know that like that suggested defence have done something right, and they did limit St Mirren to very few clear-cut chances for all the dominance because I said it at the time, it felt like roles reversed in a game. Usually when you're watching like St Mirren v Celtic, you're expecting Celtic to be the ones just piling on the pressure and if St Mirren do something, it's by hitting them on the break. But it was the other way around. Both of Celtic's goals were kind of counter-attacks almost and they came while St Mirren were kind of throwing the kitchen sink. And that's not a good thing for Celtic, but it is a good thing in the sense that if their defence, if those four have to line up again, you know, in a bigger game against, you know, thinking of a, a big game in the title race or whatever it may be, a cup final, there is a sense that maybe they can be relied on a bit more than you would have thought before. Yeah, you could probably also extend the, the say something nice to Joe Hart as well. He had a very because, good game. Yeah, he did have a very good game and he's, he's somebody that's certainly come under a lot of criticism this season and, I mean, understandably why. I, I think it's it's still a bit wild that, that Celtic don't want to kind of really, or didn't try to upgrade their goalkeeping situation either kind of last summer when it was already starting to become a bit clear that Hart is beginning to come to, he's just quite old now. And he's, he's just kind of, he's not even, not only is he not the goalie he once was before, but he's not even the goalie he was with his first season when he pitched up at Celtic. And it's been shown in Europe. But at the same time, domestically, he's not done a whole lot wrong. And... If you're Celtic, you're and Celtic the Celtic board who are always, you know, counting the pennies and, and trying to get away with whatever they can to, to not spend money to, to improve the team. They're probably looking at that situation and going, right, well, we don't necessarily need a goalie because is he as good as Jack Butland? Yeah, maybe not, but he's still fine enough that he's, I mean, he's probably still the second best goalie in Scotland. Let's be real about it. I mean, what, who's, who's maybe number two? Like, if it's not Hart, who's number two instead? Mitoff, maybe? But, I mean, it's a small sample size with him, and he's also made a couple of errors himself that like, have flown under the radar because he's the St. Johnson goalie and not the Celtic goalie. So, yeah, they've still got somebody that, in Scottish Premiership terms, is completely fine. It, good, in, in Scottish Premiership terms. It's just with the reputation and what he was before and what you expect from a Celtic keeper, he's not quite there. And the fact you're playing in the Champions League, which is... Um... Yes, yeah, yeah, you should. Try to improve in that area. That, that back four I'm talking about, their performance against St Mirren, I don't know that it would hold up against, you know, Manchester City, for example. Okay, my say something nice is about Hibernian Football Club. You are rubbish at winning games at Hamden Park my entire lifetime, really, regardless of the strength of opposition. But Hibs, in the earlier rounds, are a very good cup team. This is the kind of weird thing. Hibs are a good cup team. Hibs always seem to get to Hamden. Like, always seem to get far in tournaments. Never really give you a year off as a Hearts fan when you have to worry about them potentially winning the cup if you don't. You always have to kind of sweat it out to the latter stages. And this game, away to Inverness, like, yeah, they had a, a much improved performance against Celtic in midweek and they should have got something out of that game. But it, it did still kind of feel like to me, considering the run they've been on before then, and their form overall was like, oh yeah, they'll, they'll have that good performance against Celtic. But then against Inverness, they'll, they'll come back down to earth. Now, I don't think it was particularly a brilliant performance. It certainly wasn't in the first half. But they got the job done, and they always seem to get the job done. So I had a look. The last time Hibs exited the Scottish Cup to a, an opponent that wasn't like in the, in the top flight along with them was 
2014-15 when they were eliminated by Falkirk, but Falkirk were in the same league as Hibs at the time. You have to go back a year before then when they were beaten by Wraith Rovers 3-2 at home in the round of 16. So 2013-14, the last time Hibs went out to a lower league opponent, and I'm pretty sure if you check the League Cup as well, which I haven't quite had the time to do, that it would be a, a similar kind of long time but in the last... They, they were put out in the, in the group stages where they lost to Falkirk and lost to Morton, Morton. after the... They lost in penalties and then... Yes. They, they got... and, and then they were eliminated for the tournament because they played Rocky Bushiri, but... They were, they were out anyway, but yes. They, yes. They... So that's a kind of... That's, but that's a kind of one blip over the last, like, decade, because otherwise Hibs have, been, Hibs have been very good. They're just kind of taking care of business when they should. It's just once they get to hand, it doesn't matter who they play, whether it's Dunfermline, Livingston, Ross County... Then St Johnston, St Johnston, that's twice. <laughs> that's, that's when they come a cropper, and that's when they they don't win the games that they're favourited to win. Yeah, and and I think you saw that. I mean, it was uh they had a, I was saying uncomfortable afternoon up at Forfar in round four, but seemed a lot more comfortable on on Saturday. Obviously, getting Boyle in particular back from the Asian Cup was probably a bit of a bonus, especially for you know lower league opposition and try to stretch the game and all the rest of it. So. It felt like a, a pretty dominant Hibs performance, which they've had a few of, to be fair, and haven't quite got the result out of, but that, that was one where they, they turned up and, and kind of comfortably beat Inverness. Right, let's move on to our next section, which is fill in the blanks. Pretty self-explanatory after I say the first sentence. Livingston's Joel Newbly-inspired comeback against Partick Thistle means what for their season, Craig? We say all hope is not gone for their yes, season. Yes, that, that, was, that was kind of what I had somewhere. It means <laughs> optimism for the rest of their season. I I saw them on, shall we say Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever night it was against Kelly, and it was Wednesday, I think, and they should have beaten Kelly in the sense of how badly Kelly played and the fact that they didn't and they lost the game um, would have been a massive worry. I was like, if, if you can't, beat a Kilmarnock side who were so disjointed for 45 minutes who could easily have been 2 or 3 nil down at half-time. They missed big chances, a big chance in particular from Sangari in the second half as well, just not that long before Kelly got the winner. They, however, and when I saw they went 2-0 down yesterday, I was like, geez, oh, like this is really grim for them. But there's something to be said for just being able to pull out a fight back like that, like being able to no matter who it is against, no matter what it is, to be 2-0 down, looking like you're heading out the cup, already bottom of the league, not won a game in, apart from in the cup in what seems like six months. I can't remember the last time Livingston won a game of football. And all of a sudden, to turn it round, all right, it's, it's aided and abetted by the fact they're playing against the perfect opposition for that type of situation with the kind of brittlest confidence of all, I think. I'm not like confidence, but like a club who have already in the last, the brilliant confidence when you have a, a, a healthy a, lead. A healthy lead against a pretty poor team. But Joel Nubley, I think, barely scored a goal all season. I think he got a couple in the League Cup group stages. I think he's only got one in the league. And then that was um, two in the in the space of about 15 minutes. Neither of them like amazing goals, but the fact that he's getting himself on the score sheet. I saw a couple of Levy fans saying, you know, unsurprisingly, when they get him back higher up the park, he starts to do a bit of damage again and that seemed to be what, what was happening with him. 
And then the big moment at the end, I've quite liked what I've seen of uh, Teddy Yingi yes. um, so far. Uh, he came on against Hearts. Cause I thought, see, when I saw the um, everything about him when they signed him, I thought, this guy's going to be hopeless. <laughs> um, I think he barely scored a goal in his career, I think. He... He just, just nothing looked to me like this guy's going to be good. But I watched him when he came on like, for his debut against Hearts. It was just the last kind of 15 minutes of the game and they were chasing it. And I thought, he looks all right here. And then I thought, he, he's, a, he's a handful. He's not quite Lyndon Dykes, but you can kind of see he's maybe in that mould. Um, maybe, a, maybe a bit of a, a hybrid of Dykes and Nubley, like kind of a bit of what each of them offer. And... There's enough there for me to think like if he can fire, if Nubly can start firing, they might be able to do something. But at the same time, that like the the games are running out for them, so that's kind of the only downside. Just a, a word on it with with Yingy's winning goal though the the pitch um, <laughs> pitch it for. I've never seen a ball like, like died as soon as it, the header hit the pitch, and it seemed to almost take it away from the goalkeeper. So. He was maybe helped a little bit by by the Furhill uh, groundsman, but nonetheless, it was um, I think a heartening result. But they need to follow up. They need to go out and win. I don't even know how they're playing next. Doesn't matter. They're playing next. They need to I'll, go out. I'll and have win. a look. We've got um, Celtic in the next round, obviously. But yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they don't. They, they don't it's our first Scottish Cup uh, quarter final since two thousand and five as well, which is um, well. Fame. I mean, if this is a confidence booster, then they've got the perfect run of result, run of fixtures coming up for that. They're at home to Livingston. Sorry, it's home to Livingston. They are Livingston. <laughs> They're at home to St Mirren next. That falls then the next Saturday by away to Ross County. Then midweek, home to Motherwell. Then away to St Johnston. So, I mean, if you're going to give yourself any hope of staying up this season, then if you get a couple of, if you get two victories, and I know that's a big ask for a team that's no one in the league in fucking forever. But if you can get a couple of victories out of that, then, wow, does that change everything at the bottom of the Scottish Premiership table? Is it likely to happen? Mm, probably not, because the defence is still rotten. And that's, that's, and that's what I said. can't remember if it was last week. I think it might have been. Or the week before, where I said that the problem with this, this Livy side is that even if they manage to... Even if they get more to kind of Livy, gutting it out, fighting, they make, they make every game hard for the opposition. And even if they manage to get a bit of spark going forward, the thing compared to this Liberty with previous ones is that they just give away so many cheap goals now. And that's ultimately going to relegate them. And I just don't see the personnel within the squad for that change. They, they, they need to, um, as much as Shemal George has not had the, the best of seasons necessarily, um, he seems to be better than Michael McGovern on the basis of Saturday as well. So maybe think about getting, getting him back in the team. He didn't do anything wrong against Kelly George, so um, apart from his hairdo, which is always wrong, but um, mm. they, they should um, certainly be looking at that as well. But that, I mean, that run of, run of games, they, they, you, you, they need to be, they need to be within three or four points of county come the split, basically. And if you're in that, then you, then it's a case of you know maybe maybe you only need to win two games and it might be enough kind of thing. That's why you want to put yourself in that position. You don't want to believe in yourself having to try and win four games after the split because that's just not realistically going to happen. No. Okay, sticking with this section, Craig Gordon being Hearts Scottish Cup goalkeeper is what? Do you have anything for this or just want me to go? I I, I was struggling to find the right word for it because it's like, it's like interesting. Yeah, I was going to say curious. It's curious. 
Because typically you see this. So an example of this in, in recent seasons would be Matt Macy being the Scottish Cup goalie for Hibs in 2012-21 when Ofer Marciano was leaving and they were looking at Macy as being the goalkeeper of the future. Same with Rangers when they had John McLaughlin, I believe, doing the Scottish Cup games and Alan McGregor as, as their league goalkeeper. Most of the time, they were rotating them a bit, but it was mostly McGregor. McLaughlin would take the cup games. It's kind of like a, an early passing of the torch thing. Craig Gordon is 41 years old, and Xander Clark is about 10 years younger than him. And Clark's been playing well quite a bit recently. And, but Gordon's got a new contract. And I was wondering with the new contract, is he just now... Because he would have had to have spoken about this in the contract negotiations. What is my long-term position at the club? Am I expected to be the understudy? Am I? Do I have much of a chance of being the number one again? How much of a leash does Xander Clark have before? I, like, does it just take one mistake? Does it take five mistakes? It's and this adds an extra kind of curiosity to all of it. Is is Craig Gordon just waiting in the wings? Is it a case of just they're, they're slowly building him back up? What are they seeing at training? Is is Craig Gordon outperforming Xander Clark at training? Has he come back for this injury and he's not lost anything? Or is it just, or is it just a, is it a token gesture? Is it like, well, Craig still, we still, we believe Xander's the better keeper, but we'll give Craig the Scottish Cup games. And if you're doing that, why are you doing that? Because you're not Celtic, you're not Rangers, you're not likely to win the, the tournament. I mean, I know Hibs done it with, with Marciano and Macy, but Marciano was kind of not in good form at the time. And yet again, crucially, Macy wasn't 41 years old. So it's a strange one. It's definitely a strange I- one. I, I've said before, I wouldn't be surprised if Craig Gordon's still still playing at like 45, though, to be fair. Because um, I, I feel like he, he's still enjoying it. And if he, if he's back fit from this, like, uh, I, I think it's I think it's predominantly about the about the Euros, though. I think it's predominantly about making sure that Craig Gordon's got enough games under his belt that Steve Clark can rely on him, to be honest. And I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, obviously, Naismith worked with Clark um at Scotland for a little while and I don't know if there's discussions going on between the two of them I don't know if Gordon's been pressuring Naismith to say look I need to be playing or I need to go out on loan kind of thing do you know what I mean because I think Gordon is clearly absolutely desperate to go and and play at the or or go and be in the squad at the Euros let's be honest he's barring an an injury to Angus Gunn he's probably not going to be on the pitch but um, well you never know if if we've won the group if we've already won our first two games and it's a it's that third third game. It would be good. It would be good to see him out there. But um, I would be much. I would talk about Liam Kelly. I would still be much happier having Craig Gordon coming off the bench if there was something happened than than Liam Kelly. Even if they hadn't fixed his leg, I would have been happier with that. <laughs> um, so I wonder if there's a lot of that at play. But I think it's an interesting time because I I still haven't worked out whether, as you say, whether Gordon will get back in the team. I, I mean, maybe obviously the league situation might tidy itself up for Hearts quite quickly which might help him as well because as much as I would like for Hearts not to be running away with things um, they they are in third place and therefore they'll likely even come the split it wouldn't be surprised to me if like basically the entire post split is a dead rubber for Hearts so at that point maybe he will get more league games as well but I I do think it's it's about um, it's about Scotland to be honest Okay, but let's move on to our next section, which is He Said, She Said. We've done podcasts about this before on our Patreon. It's basically just looking at quotes from typically managers, but we can also do it with players as well in the future. 
And this time we're going to be focused on, on Philippe Clement. Not necessarily what he said, but just the fact that Clement, there was just another example of him getting a bit chippy with a post-game question. So it happened after the Celtic Rangers game where the reporter asked him what he thought of the penalty, the penalty that the Rangers weren't given, the, the handball that was later kind of it was shown it was ruled out for offside and Rangers still wanted clarification and, and blah, 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 blah. And he turned it back on the report, like, what, what did you think? Kind of thing. And the reporter's obviously like, well, nobody cares what I think. You're the manager of Rangers. People want want to know your opinion on it. Nobody, nobody, no, nobody knows who I am. I'm not even in front of the camera. Yeah. And so this time it was Stephen Cragen asking him, so Clement had made a number of changes to the Rangers side that beat Air United 2-0 in the Scottish Cup. And he said, is it difficult sometimes when you make as many changes as you did to keep fluency in the rhythm within your team? Fairly bog-standard softball of a question, that I would say. Um, yeah, it is difficult, but you need to freshen things up. And uh, I thought the lad's done all right, and we made some changes, blah, blah, blah. Instead, Clement hit back, again, just kind of asking a question of somebody asking him a question. And he said, did you have a feeling that it changed things? And then Craig goes on, yeah, well, after halftime, it looked a bit flat, so then you made some substitutions. And then Clement goes on to give an answer. But it's just a bit strange. Like, I, I can get it after the Celtic game. Just play Air United in the cup. Chill out, mate. It, it, it does. It, it always worries me with a manager that if they're being like really chippy when they're winning, and he, I mean, Clamox, you mentioned that Celtic game, it's been the only major setback he's had since they came in, basically. And if he's behaving like that when it, the going's good, what's it going to be like inevitably when there's a wee stumble at some point? Because it's going to happen. They're going to. I, I I will put my neck on the line and say Rangers are going to lose another game between now and the end of the season in some competition. And uh, I can only say that confidently because they're in Europe. And even if they even if they win the <laughs> even if they win the Europa League, they'll probably lose one of the one of the legs of a tie on the way there. But he needs to be. He needs to kind of realise that. Or, or sorry, he needs to be expecting difficult questions like and it's not like he's not managed because he's managed he managed club Bruges before so it's not like he's not managed yeah one of the big clubs in the country do you know what i mean i i, I don't profess to be a, a major expert in belgian football but i suspect that the club Bruges manager is under at least similar scrutiny to to what a, a rangers or celtic manager will be and yeah it just doesn't make sense there are times when journalists are, are like ask what I would say are unfair or unreasonable or annoying questions, but as you say, neither of them were, and so I don't know what his game is. Yeah, it's it's aye, it's strange. It's something that obviously as a as a journalist or a former journalist, probably now it's a bit fair to say that um, that like obviously I'd kind of take against that, but it's just so it's it's when it happens when it's weird. Like you get pissed off a lot of times. So it's just a question, like just just answer the question, and you can. Like I say, you can sometimes understand it, like you're you're kind of alluded to when it is just like a question that's maybe just a bit too close to the bone. But even still, it's just sometimes like I remember like Robin Wilson at his last press conference getting like apparently he was a bit annoyed that the last question was like, do you do you still back yourself to turn things around? He was a bit annoyed at that question. It's like well, just, at the same time, just say yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, obviously, yeah, I do, I do back myself to turn things around. It's like it's still a question at the end of the day. It's not somebody, somebody's kind of like. If the frame it is almost like they're having a go at you, but like I mean, with with these like TV ones as well, it's never that. It, it's never that. What's the what's the word I'm looking for? It's never that confrontational. It's always nicey nicey. It's always like, like like I said earlier, like a softball question, like underarm, like here, go and hit this. This is this is 
perfectly easy. But they're, they're really just, they're really just, in, in my experience, they really just want the manager to talk for ten minutes. Like, yes. that's what they want. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. And, and like you say, it's, maybe it's just his style. Maybe he's got a plan that why he's doing this. But as you mentioned, if this is him getting annoyed at this point, this is, I mean, and I was going to basically say the same point you did. He was in charge of Club Bruges. I'd imagine that was a bit of a pressure cooker as well, being in charge of one of the top clubs in Belgium. Probably, though, not on the level of Celtic and Rangers. And I, I don't know. I that, don't yeah, know. I don't know. I just don't imagine it would quite be. I think that would be... Yeah, maybe that. Who knows? I don't know anything about Belgian football. I don't want to be too kind of jingoistic about that. But it does seem like if this is him struggling at this point in time, what happens when... Like, what happens like when the fans turn against him? And that will happen eventually. might not be this season, regardless of what happens, because they didn't really expect much when he came in the door. And even him getting them in at a title chase is going to keep the fans very much on side. But they'll turn against him at some point, and then how is he going to react to that? It's it's a strange one. I do think it's, it's a sign of nature healing that um, both Celtic and Rangers now seem to have obnoxious, annoying managers in charge. It's, it's something that's been missing. It feels like there's always been one or the other, and it's like Postacoglu, there are things not to like about him, but generally you would be like, He's probably an all right guy, and and there's been Rangers managers before, like Van Bronckhorst, kind of seemed all right, and they're kind of like it feels more natural that they've both got these kind of unlikable characters in charge now. Okay, we finish off the show with a last section, which is just called "It's the Little Things," which is just a couple of little pieces we picked out from the weekend that we're going to be just basically means we've covered every game, but we're not going to be doing any in-depth analysis. It's just little moments that made us smile or made us laugh. And firstly, Aberdeen, how on earth do you allow a League Two side to have more possession than you at home? It's the fact that it's like, a, it's Bonnie Rigg as well, who I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever, sorry, I watched Bonnie Rigg play against Pollock in a preseason friendly, so it's not true to say I've never seen them play, but I'm not, I'm not avidly watching Bonnie Rigg on a regular basis, but everything I hear from the Low League podcast is that Bonnie Rigg are quite an agricultural side themselves, you know, in, the, in League Two. So the sort of team that maybe wouldn't have a lot of the ball even when they're playing, you know, against Dumbarton or, or whoever else in their own division. So they go to Pataudry and I appreciate they were they were obviously behind quite early on, but go to Pataudry and dominate possession um, seems odd. But it's obviously what, I think it's what Warnock will want. Um, I think it's kind of his style has always been out of possession and, yes, you know, transitions and long ball and direct and all the rest of it. And that's fine, but it's just, it's startling that, that's kind of okay, but you need to have another way to play as well because you're not you're not going to be the underdog in a lot of games as Aberdeen manager, and and you can't set up to be the underdog. It's okay to, and, and I thought they did a particularly terrible job of trying to play like that against Rangers in midweek. But okay, if you're playing Rangers and Celtic, even if you're playing Hibs and Hearts, you can probably play like that. Maybe you'll get away with it against like Kelly and St. Mirren because they've been doing well. Like maybe folk will be like, oh, it's okay. He's trying to just, you know, get some points, whatever it is. But you can't be turning up to play Livingston and expecting to let them have the ball. It just feels that's not not what you expect from Aberdeen. So I think it's it leaves a question mark, I would say. I wouldn't say it's a worry, but it's just like, are they going to be doing this all season? And is it really going to be the best way to get points? Yeah, like, ah, it'll be interesting because I, I thought, like, when Warnock first came in, that I was like, right, this is a, a very kind of similar. I, I didn't think, sorry, let me start again. I didn't think that Robson was suited for the job because I didn't think that style of football was suited to Aberdeen. 
And the fact that your your opposition, especially in games at Pataudry, are going to see, be like, well, no, you have the ball. We're, we're going to sit in and try and hit you on the counter. So if you're a team, more kind of the manager's mindset is defensive first, long ball stuff, then that's not going to work. Warnock has a lot more experience of getting teams to win with that style and managing bigger teams. Like he's managed some big championship teams. Those teams have to go and, and beat the opponent and he kind of knows how to do that. But this is a bit, again, I don't want to say it's anything like a red flag because it's, it's two early days and they scored a couple of early goals. Well, we should probably, like they scored a couple of early goals, but having scored a couple of early goals, you would expect them to put their foot down even further and be like, right, let's make this a, let's give the fans something to smile about. Let's make this four, five, six. Instead, the game finished with both teams having as many shots as each other. And very early, very early days into Warnock's tenure, there, there's not a lot that would suggest things are different from before, but away to Rangers, and this is just, a, it's, yeah, it's a game that should be winning by more, but it's still a kind of weird game that at home to a league two side in the Scottish Cup. They scored a couple of goals early. It's then just them seeing the game out. It's, it's not the best of games to, in which to make even the snappiest of snap judgments, but also it's not brilliant either. And, and where would be the fun in not making such judgments? Yeah, exactly, that's what we're here for. If you, if you don't like it, then, I mean, but, but, why are you bothering? <laughs> if you don't like it, come back in six months and tell us we were wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, and finally, what's funnier, Fraser Murray's attempted finish or Greg Stewart celebrating Kyle Vassell's quote-unquote goal when it didn't end up going in? I, the, the Murray one reminds me of um, the, the our both game we won the league. Ollie Shaw went through on goal and produced one of the worst finishes I've ever seen. Like, like, I, I, like after we'd scored, so after we'd went two one up, like almost immediately after it, and it felt like you know this is the crowning moment of the um, of the season. You know we've just scored the last minute winner, and here's Ollie Shaw through on goal to round it off, and the ball kind of went like sideways off his foot, um, and it was kind of similar to that from Murray. Just come back into the team, and that you know he had, he had a, a positive sub appearance in midweek and a positive appearance off the bench, and it's good to have another option. But it's fun. The funnier one is absolutely Greg Stewart celebrating uh, <laughs> Kelvin Sales. <laughs> to be fair, even the Cove goalkeeper thought it was in. He like he like watched it and then kind of turned around and went, "Oh no, maybe actually I can catch this." And I think he just about did. I think most people at the game thought it was in at the time, but I reckon from the from the the footage it probably wasn't. But yeah, Stuart was literally over celebrating with him. So Kelly were, were down to nine men. Still not as bad as there was a, I'm sure it was Ipswich that were involved. It was a game in the English Championship, like probably 15 years ago, where they, um, they scored a goal and started celebrating and doing like a choreographed celebration, three or four of them, like in front of the support. But the unbeknownst to them, offside had been given. So the other team put the ball down and took a goal kick, and it was like eleven v seven for <laughs> until the until the guys realised, and it, nothing came of it. But it, it wasn't quite as bad as that. But nonetheless, very funny to be to be celebrating a, a goal which Vassell could probably have done with, but not actually going in. Yeah, I would I would go with the Stuart one as well, especially since he kind of he doesn't run right away. He doesn't like it's not like with the dink over the goal, and then he's like right off, and then he doesn't look at it again. He, he, he keeps watching, and he decides like even when he, he surely must see the goalie going back. He's like, nah, that's definitely going in. I don't have to worry about this. And then he's a, he's away like got two hands in the air, like running towards Vassell. <laughs> like, maybe just follow up the ball. You might be able to get the goalie. Even if the goalie scoops out, you can maybe be there to to tap it home. But no, no. Instead, uh, yeah, yeah. That uh, very funny. Right, and I think that'll do us, Craig. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed this run through. Um, so, 
the format it seems to work for me. Yeah, yeah, it certainly worked for us. I quite enjoyed doing that as well. It's nice to do something different. But please, like I say, let us know. Do you like the new format? Do you only want the, the previous one? Do you want us to mix it up every week? Or, or not necessarily every week. Do you want us to mix it up? We'll sometimes, like I said at the start, we'll sometimes do the six. We'll sometimes do this one. Give us suggestions for sections and yourself, I think, would help cover the games in, in maybe more detail or less detail. Whatever you want, like I say, Best way, probably send us an email, terracepodcastproductions at gmail.com. You can also, if you can't be bored with an email, you can probably, the other best way would be to find us on Twitter. Or if you are one of our lovely Patreon subscribers, then just hitting us up in the Discord on the main show channel. That would be perfect as well to give your feedback. And if you'd like to get involved in the Discord, our forum where like-minded Scottish football fans talk about Scottish football, talk about music, talk about movies, talk about other football, talk about other sports, talk about any, just about any bloody subject you can think of, that you could do that. If you subscribe to the Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast, where you'll also find literally over a thousand bonus podcasts from through the years since we launched the Patreon site. And the, to access some of them, you just need to pay £2 a month. To access all of them, you just need to pay £5 a month. Neither of those are huge sums of money. So please, if you can, contribute, help the podcast grow. But thanks for listening, even if you don't. And if you don't do that, then do us a favor otherwise. Get on the YouTube, give us subscribe to our YouTube channel, give us a like on the videos, follow us on Instagram, follow us on TikTok, share our content, hit the re hit the repost button on X, formerly retweet, formerly t- Twitter. And just kind of help us out that way. And also yeah, give us a five star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think that's all the housekeeping I need to do, Craig. Yeah, I, I, I don't think anything was missed there. Perfect. So, yep. Right, until next time, goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.